So chapter 11, verse 1. You must love Yahweh your God and do what he requires. Keep his statutes, ordinances, and commandments at all times. Bear in mind today that I am not speaking to your children, who you have not personally experienced the judgments of Yahweh your God, which revealed his greatness, strength, and power. They did not see the awesome deeds he performed in the midst of Egypt against Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and his whole land, or what he did to the army of Egypt, including their horses and chariots, and when he made the waters of the Red Sea overwhelm them while they were pursuing you, and he annihilated them. And they did not see what he did to you in the desert before you reached this place, or what he did to Dathan and Abriam, sons of Elab and Reubenite. And when the earth opened its mouth in the middle of the Israelite camp, and swallow them, their families, and their tents, and all their property they brought with them. I am speaking to you because you are the ones who saw the great deeds of Yahweh. So he reminds them that they must obey. But he makes it very clear that he's talking to the parents. Now remember the parents at the time of the Red Sea crossing would have been no older than 20 years old. Because remember there was everybody was 21 years older got judged and left in the wilderness and everybody else was 20 and younger got to live and keep going to the promised land. So they are old enough, many people are old enough to they remember what it was like to cross the Red Sea. They saw the judgments. They saw the constant consequences for disobedience to the wilderness. So he says, I'm speaking to you. I'm speaking to the adults. I'm speaking to the parents. You need to remember what you saw with your own eyes because you need to keep God's commands. But here's the thing. Their children have not seen all the same things that they have seen. And so it's their responsibility to communicate this to their children because their children aren't going to have those experiences like they did. Now, granted, when we get into the book of Joshua, they're going to see some some miraculous defeats, but mostly it's going to be military. And so there are going to be some pretty miraculous like odds that they will win in military victories, but nothing like Red Sea crossings and natural plagues coming down and all that kind of stuff. And even when we get to the book of Judges, they're not really going to see anything. Even by the time we get to Gideon, Gideon's going to say, I've heard all the stories about what this God Yahweh has done, but I haven't seen anything. So we always get the impression that God is always doing miracles all the time throughout the entire history of Israel, and then now he's not doing it. And we kind of like wonder, like, okay, now since it's been Christ, why doesn't God do miracles like this? Now, I'm not saying God doesn't do miracles, but those like supernatural, amazing, like big natural supernatural miracles that wow you. And you have to realize most of Israel's history, they didn't see that. Think about all the patriarchs. They didn't really see great, wondrous things. Abraham, one generation, saw that. The next generations for three or four hundred years after them saw few things here and there. Through Samuel and Kings, they didn't really see that amazing things. It wasn't until then Christ again that they saw miracles and stuff. So you have to realize that the majority of Israel's history, they haven't seen a lot either. And so they're much in the same boat that we are with. Yes, we see miracles. Yes, we've experienced God. But nothing that just like wows you or suspends the laws of nature. And so what he's saying is that you've seen that, but your children haven't. So not only do you have a responsibility to teach your children, but 
your responsibility to communicate something that they're not going to have experience. And this needs to be real in your life. Verse 8, Now pay attention to all the commandments I am giving you today so that you may be strong enough to enter and possess the land where you are headed and that you may enjoy long life in the land of Yahweh promised to give your ancestors and their descendants a land flowing with milk and honey. For the land where you headed, you are headed is not like the land of the Egypt, which you came, which you came a land where you planted seed and which you irrigated by hand like a vegetable garden. Instead, the land that you are crossing, the Jordan to occupy, is one of the hills and valleys, a land that drinks and water from the rains, a land that Yahweh your God looks after. He is constantly attentive to it from the beginning of the end of the year. And now if you pay close attention to my commandments I am giving you today and love Yahweh your God and serve him with all your mind and being, then he promises I will send rain for your land and its seasons, the autumn and the spring rains, so that you may gather in your grain new wine and olive oil, and I will provide pasture for your livestock, and you will eat your fill. So he comes to them and reminds them of their entrance in the land. So he reminds them of two things. First, their obedience would give them the strength to conquer the people. The only way they could conquer the enemy is if they're obedient. We've already seen that with the Amalekites, with Sihon and Og. We've seen this example where when they're obedient, they're victorious. When they're not, they're not victorious. So he's telling them, look, the only way you can conquer the enemy and take the land is if you're obedient. Second, obedience will allow them to enjoy the fruit of the land. Because unlike Egypt, where the Nile was always constant and always provided life, and as long as they worked hard, they could have a good life in Egypt, even if they weren't slaves. But they're now coming to the land of Israel, or Canaan. And here, the land doesn't just freely produce without water because there are no giant rivers that flow. The Jordan is completely dependent upon the rains. It is not a river that flows constantly all the time whether there's rain or not. It is completely dependent upon the rains. And so the only way that they can have life is if it rains. And the only person who controls the rain is Yahweh. Egypt was able to sustain life without the gods, but not Israel. And so what he's saying is, that the only reason I will send rain to produce crops is if you're obedient to me. So God is saying their ability to conquer the enemy and take the land, have security, and their ability to have life, food, is completely dependent upon their obedience. And that's very, very important to understand that God has specifically picked this land for those reasons. There's lots of lands in the world that God could give them. But a lot of lands are self-reliant, self-giving. Even in America, you don't have to work very hard to allow the land to grow. Well, until we asphalted everything. The reality is the rains come, and they will have victory in battle if they're dependent and obedient to God. And so obedience is absolutely necessary for their survival. Verse 16, make sure that you do not turn away to serve and worship the other gods. Then the anger of Yahweh will erupt against you and he will close up the sky so that it does not rain. The land will not yield its produce and you will soon be removed from the good land that the Yahweh is about to give you. 
So notice again, now he's re doing the opposite. If you are not obedient, specifically in your idolatry, then God will shut up the sky. And you'll have no life that will come down, and the land will not produce anything. Fix these words of mine, verse 18, into your mind and being, and tie them as a reminder in your hands, and let them be symbols on your forehead. Teach them to your children. Speak of them as you sit in your house, and as you walk along the road, and as you lie down, and as you get up. Inscribe them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates, so that your days and those of your descendants may be extended in the land which Yahweh promised to give to your ancestors, like the days of heaven itself. For if you carefully observe all these commandments I am giving you, love Yahweh your God, live according to the standards, and remain loyal to him, then he will drive out all these nations ahead of you, and you will dispossess the nations, greater and stronger than you. Every place you set your foot will be yours. Your border will be extend from the desert of Lebanon and from the river that is Euphrates as far as the Mediterranean Sea. Nobody will be able to resist you, and Yahweh your God will spread the fear and terror of you over the whole land on which you walk, just as he promised you. So once again, as in chapter 6, he reiterates the emphasis of teaching your children. Bind this to your arms. Bind this to your body. Bind this to your door frames. Do everything that you need to remember, 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 remember. Remembrance is the key to a successful, obedient thriving life with God. And that's what he keeps reiterating over and over again. And then if you do this, God, once again, he keeps reiterating, I will give you victory. You feel like he keeps saying the same thing over again. And I keep saying that over and over again. But you need to remember that that's why we need to remember. Over and over, it's so easy for us to forget. And so the more that they keep reading this, the more they'll be remembered. I mean, even now, if we read this like a few times, we can kind of go home and easily begin to forget as life comes. And so he's reiterating all this stuff because he's trying to create a new pattern in your brains. The reality is, unless you do something repetitively over and over and over again, read it or do it, you will not create a new pattern in your brain and begin to act upon it. And so Deuteronomy is not only emphasizing the need for remembrance, but it itself becomes a giant book of remembrance where he just keeps repeating and repeating. But the cool thing about God is that he's not repeating the exact same phrases over and over again. He's always slightly changing the wording, changing the emphasis, coming out of a different direction. And in some ways it feels like he's saying the same thing, but he keeps saying it in different ways with different points and different order. So it doesn't feel totally repetitive, but it keeps emphasizing what we need to know from every possible different angle and in every kind of way so that it will affect us in the most maximum possible way. And so this is what he keeps reiterating. Now remember, once again, he's promised them to Abraham that they'll have everything between Egypt all the way to the Euphrates River. And so that's the ultimate goal. But they're not going to allow that first because remember he told them their conquest has to be gradual. They have to prove themselves worthy in obedience to take the land once they conquer all the people in the land, then they have to become united. And only when the enemy that threatens them is removed, and only when they become united, are they allowed to begin to expand past the Jordan River. And so right now, they're supposed to be within the Jordan River in the Mediterranean Sea, although two and a half tribes have decided to move somewhere else. But they cannot take, if they can't even take their land now, they're not going to be able to expand. 
And so he starts small with them. Verse 26. Take note. I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you take to heart the commandments of Yahweh your God that I am giving you today, and the curse, if you pay attention to his commandments and turn from the way that I am setting before you today to pursue other gods you have not known. When Yahweh your God brings you into the land that you possess, you must pronounce the blessing on Mount Gerasim and the curse on Mount Ebal. And are, Ebal, are they not across the Jordan River toward the west in the land of the Canaanites who live in the Arabah opposite Gilgah near the Oak of Moriah? And for you, you are about to cross into the Jordan to possess the land that Yahweh your God is giving you and you will possess the inhabit it. Be certain to keep all the statutes and the ordinances I am presenting you today. He tells them that they, when they get in the land, he's going to give them curses and blessings. And that's where we're going to get into the third speech, starting around chapter 29. Okay, he's going to give them blessings. He's going to give them a whole list and says, if you do these things, then I will bless you in these very specific ways. And then he's going to give them, if you disobey me, then I will curse you in these very specific ways. And he's going to give them a whole list of each. And so here he's telling them this, that when they get into the land, they cross the Jordan River, they're going to go into the land, and they're going to see two mountains in the heart of Canaan. In the very heart of Canaan, in the middle of all the enemies, in the middle of all the territory, there's two mountains, Mount Abal and Mount Gerizim. And on Mount Gerizim, they are to take half the tribes and put them on one mountain, Mount Gerizim, and take the other half of the tribes and put them on the mount, other mountain, Mount Abal. And you can see each other from the top of these mountains, and you can hear each other, and there's a valley between you. And he's going to command them that the six tribes are to repronounce all the curses of God on Mount Gerizim if they disobey. And they're to yell them across the valley to the other six tribes on the other hill. And then the other six tribes on Mount Ebal are to pronounce all the blessings of God and yell them to the other six tribes on the other hill. And this is a very common thing that they would do in the ancient world when they made a treaty. They would pronounce these things out loud. So it's very clear as you're intentionally reciting these things and intentionally kind of speaking it to each other, like a church liturgy, it becomes very clear to everybody exactly what will happen if you obey and disobey. So he's telling them that this is what you must do, and a few couple days or whatever, when he gives the third speech, he's going to actually give them the curses and blessings. And then when Joshua enters the land and conquers a few cities, they will go to those hills and they will actually pronounce them. And this is the seal of the covenant so that everybody knows exactly what the rewards and the consequences are for every action. And that's important because everybody needs to know exactly what is expected of them and exactly what the consequences of the reward will be if they don't obey or if they do obey. And so he is making this clear to them that they are to do this. If... And then he says, I have laid before you life and cur or blessings and cursings. He is promising them shalom. Now remember, shalom is the idea that you are at peace with God 
at peace with each other, and at peace with creation. Meaning that you have a good, right, satisfactory, content relationship with all three of those things. I mean, different people might explain shalom in a different way, but that's basically the essence of what everybody is pretty much going to say, is something like that. And so shalom is at peace. Not a world peace sense, but a right relationship where you're good. Because remember the definition of good in the Bible is functioning the way that it's supposed to function. So if you're functioning the way you're supposed to with God, you're functioning the way you're supposed to with each other, love God and love others, and you're functioning the way you're supposed to with the creation of the land, then you will have peace with those three things. And if you have peace with those three things, well, then you won't have what we typically think of war and peace. And that's the, con- the global conflict things. And so this is what he's promising them. If you do this, then I will bless you and you'll have shalom. If you don't, then disorder and chaos will come. Wait till the third speech to find out exactly what that looks like. That brings us to the end of part A of the second speech.